Welcome back to The Ron Show on the back half, December 13, 2022. I'm your host, Ron Roberts, on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Phone number 404-919-2725. Ron at RonShowATL.com. Twitter, RonShowATL. Lots of uh, little things to hit upon this segment, so let's start with this. In a somewhat similar fashion to the 52-tweet diatribe we got from the close Abrams ally last week, uh, there was well a little more of a subdued and sewn-up two-page memo that the Brian Kemp campaign has been circulating. Uh, and according to the Jolt in the AJC, that contends... A multi-million dollar investment in direct canvassing and streaming, along with message discipline, helped the Republican defeat Abrams by an eight-point margin. Uh, Reading on, the document was put together by Brent Buchanan and Jack Coogan on behalf of Kemp's leadership committee, involved a signal, that's C-Y-G-N-A-L, signal poll of roughly 1,300 general election voters. And among the uh, findings in that poll, roughly one-third of Kemp's voters said inflation was their top priority. 27% uh, said his record and experience were the main reason for their support. Wait until y'all hear this split ticket stuff, though. It's it's mind-numbing. It really is. Although more independents listed abortion over inflation as their top issue, they voted for Kemp by a 10-point margin and supported Senator Raphael Warnock over Herschel Walker by a 19-point margin. Y'all, that's a 29-point swing in that split ticket between the two races. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who is, uh, how do I, she is a career campaign employee. Like, she's worked on several campaigns over the years. I mean, dating back into the 90s. And she said something to me. This is an African-American female who I know who said something to me about Stacy not really campaigning hard enough on reproductive choice during the campaign. And that kind of struck me. Like, she follows this stuff very closely. I, I, I thought I did too. And I never really thought during the campaign that Stacey wasn't talking enough about reproductive choice, making more of an issue of abortion. But coming from a female, an African American female, it just made me ponderous. It's like, did Stacey not really harp on? Reproductive choice enough? Huh. Anyway, let me read on here. More from the Signal poll. The governor was roughly even with Stacey Abrams among women aged 50 to 64. Wow. So maybe she didn't. Then again, women 50 to 64 don't tend to be of a reproductive age, but their daughters are. Anyway, the uh, poll contends Warnock won the same block by 13 points. Again. Camp and Abrams were even, women 50 to 64. Warnock won that block by 13 points. Camp won women 65 and older by 20 points. Kemp roughly split college-educated voters with Abrams. That's something that Democrats almost always carry. Kemp roughly split with college-educated voters with Abrams and won non-college-educated voters by 15 points. Well, there you have it. Ooh, also, this little nugget, one of the biggest sources of ticket splitters. Huh. Catholic voters. Huh. I'm not Catholic. I can't speak to that. Though I will say, I lived in Louisiana for five years. A 
if not majority Catholic state, that is the number one religion of choice in the state. And I remember being a 20-something into my early something, 30-somethings there, that my circle of friends, many if not most of whom were Catholic, who were locals there, had sort of an evolved stance on a lot of issues. I don't really remember talking much about abortion, but I do remember a bit of an evolution anyway. And remember, I'm 48 now, so folks my age who are Catholic probably have a little bit of a more evolved stance than the church does when it comes to birth control. Think of that what you will when you think about the fact that those split-ticket folks, a lot of them were Catholic here in the state. Interesting. As an aside, I always bring up Catholicism when folks are talking about immigration policy, because at the end of the day, conservatives are wringing their hands for the most about the idea that they would eventually lose states along the border with an influx of Hispanic voters if they were to become citizens. I remind folks that in Latin American countries, Catholicism is the leading religion, and Catholics in general are socially conservative, right? The GOP has made inroads, in particular in South Florida, with the Cuban-American community, many of whom are Catholics, and are making inroads with Hispanic voters who are citizens in the United States because... A lot of them are Catholics, and Catholics are socially conservative, and the GOP is a socially conservative party. And while I think from a party standpoint that might make sense with Republicans in the short term, I think they also realize that a lot of their voting base in the South that are white and evangelical pay very little attention to what Jesus said about taking care of our guests from other countries, you know, the asylum seekers. And pay a lot more attention to the fact that um, these people aren't white. I can hear it now, but Ron, why do you think that that's the way Republican voters are? We're not all racist. No, I, I readily admit that not all Republican voters are racist. I'd even venture to guess that maybe even more than half, a majority of Republican voters aren't racist. That's not what I'm saying at all. I am saying that, however, there is a large chunk of that voting block that is xenophobic, and it's evidenced in policy decisions made by the party that panders to them. English as the official language of the country. Sound familiar? Well, that's not because there's an influx of folks speaking German. Okay, moving on. Uh, So while we see that uh, Brad Raffensperger is again subpoenaed uh, in the January 6th insurrection uh, case, He's also a little busy throwing up some trial balloons when it comes to runoff elections. This from Reason.com. Georgia could be the next state to try ranked choice voting. Oh, please, God in heaven, let's do this. However, that he, he presented three options, and that's not even the first one. It's the third one. So I'm going to uh, skim through this article a little bit for you. After... Senator Raphael Warnock defeated GOP challenger Herschel Walker this month. Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, indicated that he would propose new changes to the state's rules that could benefit not just voters, but third-party candidates as well. Speaking to the New York Times last week, Raffensperger said he would petition the state legislature with three separate proposals. One would force large counties to open more locations for voting early. Let's put a pin in that. 
we'll come back to it. Another would lower the vote total needed to avoid a runoff from 50% to 45%. We'll come back to that too. The third proposal is the most consequential and the most interesting. Raffensperger will also ask state lawmakers to consider switching to a ranked choice ballot for future elections. In this system, voters rank each candidate on the ballot in order of preference. When the votes are tallied, if no candidate wins a majority, then the lowest performer is eliminated. That candidate's votes are then recounted with the voters' second choices counted first. This repeats until one candidate passes 50%. Okay, now of the three, the third option makes the most sense, does it not? Here's why. Option two, we'll go to that first, is a non-starter. Nobody wants to have their Senate representation having won an election with just 45% of the vote. Know how I know that? Two words, Kelly Leffler. She would be currently senator from the state of Georgia for another four years. That's a non-starter, y'all. But I also have to think Republicans don't want that either, honestly. No, seriously, I don't think they want that either. Raphael Warnock had 49% on election day, and it went to a runoff, and that gave them an opportunity to win the seat. Candidate quality just bit him in the ass. Now, I can totally see them... Going with the first option, just because eh, it's par for the course. Let me read that to you again. Force large counties to open more locations for voting early. Now, bear in mind, after SB 202, with runoffs now, after a November election, falling in a window that would include Thanksgiving, you're already going to have a hard time staffing for early voting anyway. SB 202 also disallows what we had in 2000 at State Farm Arena, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's right. Those were gifted. Those venues were gifted by the Atlanta Hawks and by the Falcons and United. They were gifted to Fulton County to help alleviate crowding at polling places. And remember in 2020, we were in the pandemic for social distancing. Imagine an entire football field with like 300 voting locations all spread out. Plenty of space. Well, SB 202 doesn't allow that anymore. So you're going to force the county, Fulton County, DeKalb County, you're going to force these counties, these large counties, air quotes, to have more staffing. But are you going to provide the monetary resources to pay people? I'm going to tell you something, like, I love democracy, I love seeing people vote, I don't, I don't want to sit in a building for eight hours and monotonously check people in and hand them their card so they can go vote. You're going to have to pay me real good, real good. Especially during the holidays, when people are going to be traveling. I usually have travel plans in Thanksgiving now. I like to go to Florida, go play softball. You're going to have to pay me real good. And it's going to be like that for anybody. You're going to have to pay them real good. So that one's fraught with peril, but it wouldn't shock me at all if the Republican Secretary of State's office did just that. Well, we're just going to require Fulton County, DeKalb County, Cobb County, Gwinnett County, Clayton County, maybe, Richmond County, 
Muskogee County, Bibb. We're going to require these counties to have more staffing and open more locations. With who? And, and with what money? No, rank choice makes the most sense. I'm going to share that article. In fact, I did. I shared it on Twitter earlier today. Look at me getting ahead of things. You can uh, read more about that proposal and uh, chime in as well if you don't mind. Ron Show ATL. Uh, okay, one last little nugget here before we go to break. Uh, the Georgia High School uh, Athletic Association, or the GHSA it's called, According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, expected to announce Thursday that it's going to move its football championship games back to Mercedes-Benz Stadium starting next season. Yes. Yes. Attendance has been down at uh, Center Park Stadium, Georgia State University's football stadium. Uh, The last few years it's been held there. Obviously, COVID played a part in that. But weather, weather plays a huge part. December in Atlanta, it's always chilly and wet, foggy and wet, drizzly and wet, misty and wet. It's just, ugh. And it's nice that they've got that turf field and they've got that turf field in Mercedes-Benz Stadium too. But since you want the championship games all playing in one venue so that we can all watch the games on television and it's such a perk for these kids to come play in these massive venues, at least now it'll be in a climate-controlled environment, a huge stadium everybody's gotten to see on TV for bowl games and Falcons games. Parents and fans and bands and cheerleaders all get to enjoy it. Heads and beds in Atlanta hotels. Everybody wins. Glad to see that's happening. In praise of George W. Bush, believe it or not, that's my next segment. Hmm. On The Ron Show, on the America One Radio app and on AmericaOneRadio.com. You don't want to miss that, right? Back after this. Incidentally, for those who don't know... My full-time job is that I am a realtor, a real estate agent with eXp Realty. And you can dive right into the latest listings, get your home value checked out, check out open houses by visiting me at rononthereal.com. Even share some uh, blog posts that has me focusing in on the real estate industry and trends. Obviously, interest rates are climbing right now, which has a lot of folks thinking, oh, that means the market's going to go south. Mm, Atlanta's, Atlanta's a different animal. Money Magazine actually says that Atlanta is the number one place to live, the best place to live in the United States. And by 2040, there will be two and a half million more of us living in Metro Atlanta. There's like six million now. That's a big chunk of people coming in the next 18 years. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, 18 years, that's that's a long way from now. Do you know it was 18 years ago we were all jamming in the club to a new song called Yeah by Usher, Lil Jon, and Ludacris? Yeah. <laughs> Not all that long ago, right? Life moves pretty fast. Ferris Bueller, thank you. Currently, we are seeing mortgage interest rates at or above 7%. That's a far cry from the below 3% figures we were enjoying the last two years, but they're not all that different than what they were in 2004, 18 years ago. And by 2040, if you pull the trigger on a home purchase or a rental income investment property today, you'd be either done with it if you chose a 15-year mortgage or more than halfway through a 30-year note with equity growing by the year in a local housing market needing space for two and a half million more people by 2040. What I'm saying is what you buy now is likely going to be wildly more valuable in 2040 or even 2030. It really is good to be number one, especially if you own your own home or a rental income property or both in Metro Atlanta. Hit me up, Ron at rononthereal.com, 843-283-0078. Georgia MLS 396-720. 